Well, I wanted to give you an update tonight on a an important story we told you about last month. It was about a coroner's inquest that was underway in Renfrew County, that's near Ottawa, uh, following the 2015 murders of three women, Carol Carlton, Anastasia Kuzik, and Natalie Warmerdam. Uh, they were murdered by someone they knew. It was an act of intimate partner violence. Uh, that man was uh, sentenced. He's in jail. He was convicted of three counts of murder. He's in prison now. But they want to hold an inquest um, to try to make recommendations on how to prevent gender-based violence. So for three weeks, the coroner's inquest asked jurors to listen to uh, recommendations, listen to experts, um, and come up with some recommendations on how to make that work. They came up with 86, some of which were their own, weren't even suggested at the outset. Um, and really it was about a few different issues that are important. One is the prevalence of intimate partner violence in rural communities and how hard it is for uh, people to find help in those communities, how little help there can be available at time. Um, and truly what it was all about was letting the jurors hear not only about the day of the murders and what led up to them and the person responsible and the victims, but also about the systemic challenges that led to them. Now, one of the people who uh, spoke at that uh, at that coroner's inquest was Kirsten Mercer. Uh, she's a lawyer with Goldblatt Partners. She represented a coalition of frontline agencies in Renfrew County who serve women living with gender-based violence. And uh, again, she spoke at the inquest and she joins me now. Kirsten Mercer, thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Just so to remind listeners what this inquest uh, was all about, what was it attempting to do? Well, you know, this inquest was designed to take in a really intentional look at issues of intimate partner violence from the perspective of people who live in rural and remote communities. Obviously, some of the issues um, are common regardless of where you live, but because these murders happened in Renfrew County, uh, just a, a little bit outside of Ottawa, um, in a series of very small communities, uh, we thought it was really important to take the time to look at what the unique aspects of intimate partner violence uh, and supporting survivors look like in that kind of community. And we know that that dynamic exists um, in Renfrew County, but also across the country in other remote and rural communities. Because I think we spoke about this last time, the prevalence of, of, uh, partner, of intimate partner violence is, is high in, in rural communities, much higher than perhaps people might even understand. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think one of the things that really came across, and I would say even struck the jury members, uh, was just just the prevalence of this kind of violence that existed in their midst, um, and unbeknownst to many people. For so long, these were issues that you know happened behind closed doors, and people didn't talk about. Um, and you know the somewhat outdated idea that a you know a man is the king of his castle, and and you know these are private matters that that take place between. Uh, two people in a relationship. And, you know, that idea needs to be set aside. Um, this is a societal prob problem. It is extremely prevalent. And, you know, even the day um, that the jury announced their verdict, you know, there were a series of, um, there were two murders um, uh, of a similar, of an intimate partner nature that took place in Ottawa, just, you know, a few kilometers away from where the jury was about to release its verdict. Uh, you know, it, it is happening all the time. Um, a woman is killed. One, one, uh, one woman is killed every six days in this country. Um, and uh, a high percentage of those are killed by people that they knew or were in a relationship with. 
that understood, I gather that what the jury came back with here, 86 recommendations is a lot. It's plentiful. Um, what did you make of what they're recommending and how does it address, what kind of issues is it addressing? Well, the jury did an incredible job of, um, of listening carefully, of giving their thoughtful attention to the evidence that they heard over the course of three weeks. Um, and considering the slate of um, recommendations that the parties put to them, and then they added their own additional recommendations on top of that. And, um, you know, we're incredibly impressed uh, and, and moved, frankly, by the way in which the jury um, has responded to the evidence that they heard. And I think um, no single recommendation makes that point as clearly as the first one, wherein the jury, and this was a recommendation that came from the jurors themselves and, and not one that came from the parties, uh, the jury has called on Ontario to name intimate partner violence as an epidemic in the province of Ontario. And I think the same would be said across the country. Um, and to treat it as the public health crisis that it very much is. Um, and then a whole, you know, obviously 86 recommendations, uh, they're extremely diverse. And, and unfortunately, you know, your listeners um, won't have the benefit of hearing all of them now, but ranging things ranging from, you know, better collaboration and cooperation among departments or among parts of the justice system, um, significantly uh, more investment in frontline resources provided to frontline workers, um, and actually a change in the way that we fund these kind of service providers uh, that recognizes intimate partner violence and those who support women who are living with intimate partner violence as an essential public service. These aren't one-off projects that agencies run for a couple of years and then the problem goes away. Unfortunately, you know, these, uh, my clients have been doing this work for decades. Um, intimate partner violence has been around uh, as long as time. Uh, and, um, you know, we have to treat the response to the problem um, as an essential public service uh, with core funding that allows these organizations to meaningfully tackle the challenge in front of them. And we hope that the idea of, rec of, of naming um, intimate partner violence as an epidemic in our midst um, and using that public health lens is an important tool that will help us uh, tackle this in sort of an all of government way or frankly in, all of, in an all of society way. How would that work? How, how, how does that um, term and putting a public health lens on it, how would that alter what exists now for listeners who may not understand what the system looks like uh, as we speak? Well, you know, I think when you, uh, when you spend some time studying this and working with the people who, uh, who, who um, advocate for women uh, who are living with intimate partner violence, you realize that we, we are very much approaching intimate partner violence um, with Band-Aid solutions. And uh, there is a, uh, a MacGyver quality, I, I call it, to the way in which they work. It's, it's these incredibly innovative and resourceful um, women and organizations who do work to support intimate partner violence um, and those who live with violence. You know, yeah. they are cobbling together solutions to incredibly complex social problems. And uh, we need to be more intentional. We need to be more structured. Uh, and we need to, um, uh, you know, fund the fight against intimate partner violence in the same way that we fund, um, you know, the fight against COVID or um, other epidemics that exist in our midst, um, other social problems that exist in our midst, and other essential public services like schools, uh, hospitals, um, roads. You know, we need to take 
a very different approach to the way we tackle this. And this is not, you know, um, the work of a three-year project that you write a grant proposal and then you tie it all up with a bow and, um, you know, check it, cross it off the list at the end of three years. That's just not the nature of this work. Speaking with Kirsten Mercer, she's a lawyer with Goldblatt Partners who represented a coalition of frontline agencies in Renfrew County serving women living with gender-based violence at a recent inquest. The jury uh, at that inquest into the murders of three women in 2015 in and around rural Renfrew County near Ottawa came back with 86 recommendations, uh, a very comprehensive report from the jury, including, uh, as uh, as Kirsten pointed out, one of the the first ones that intimate partner violence be considered uh, an epidemic in, in Ontario, and that would, of course, apply. Uh, in this case, just to Ontario, but certainly worth considering in other parts of the country as well. When we come back, just a bit more about the recommendations and what kind of picture was painted at that inquest into what exactly went wrong uh, from a structural point of view, from a regulatory point of view uh, back in 2015. That's next. My guest this half hour is Kirsten Mercer. She's a lawyer with Goldblatt Partners who represented a coalition of frontline agencies in Renfrew County uh, at a recent inquest into the 2015 murders of three women uh, by a man that they knew, intimate partner violence, ultimately in this case. Uh, in the in the inquest itself, Kirsten, what kind of picture was painted? Where were the gaps identified? I think we, we were familiar with, if you've been following the case, we were familiar with a lot of the gaps. Where did the jury really land on some of the more uh, egregious ones as far as they were concerned? One of the jury's uh, responses was around perpetrators and the need to do a better job uh, of responding to the perpetrators of this violence. And it's an area, frankly, that, as you can imagine, doesn't attract a lot of political support or attention. Nobody wants to direct those precious dollars um, from the government coffers to help the perpetrators. But the reality is, if, if we don't direct our resources to the source of the problem, all we're ever going to be doing is plugging holes in a bucket. We have to turn off the tap, you know. Um, and so, you know, the jury very astutely um, called the government to account, frankly, for the, for the services that exist to support um, perpetrators, and particularly perpetrators at the beginning of um, the, the sort of the criminal history. Uh, we know that this perpetrator had a very long history of intimate partner violence. Not all of those were documented in, in criminal charges. But, um, you know, when we look at, at this individual's history going back to the late 70s, uh, his first domestic violence charge, I believe women abuse was the language at the time, was in 1977. And I know that by 2015, there may not have been a fix for this individual. I don't know that there was any system that could have uh, redirected the, the runaway train that was this perpetrator at that point. But when I think about this case, I think about the impact that could have been had if there were better supports available um, to change the trajectory of this story way back in 1977 or at any point from that time, you know, in the decade that followed. It just didn't happen in this case. And we know that if there's a chance to um, address these, this violence at, at its root and to sort of pull the, the weed of intimate partner violence out, it has to be early. Um, these behaviors become more entrenched and much more dissolved uh, as they become serialized over the course of a perpetrator's life. I also noticed in the recommendations there was an acknowledgement, or at least from the jury, that uh, that in fact a lot of warnings may have gone unheeded as well. When people were saying, "Listen, this this person is a problem," that that it wasn't being taken seriously enough. 
That's right. You know, I think the thing that the jury learned over the course of the hearing is that when individuals are released from custody, you know, we're ordinary people are vaguely aware that we have a system to supervise offenders when they're released back into the community, whether that be on parole or probation. But um, I think the reality of that supervision is much less rigorous than most people would assume, particularly when you have an, an offender like this one who was very well understood as being a high risk for reoffending. Uh, and, you know, I think that's another place where the gaps in the system um, contributed to the problem in this case. He was not well supervised in the community. He had no intention of complying with the conditions that were imposed on him by the court. Uh, he had a long history of manipulating the system. And unfortunately, uh, you know, he was allowed to get away with that. And one of the things that we heard at the inquest from some of the experts who work with perpetrators is that when perpetrators get away with it, it emboldens them and actually contributes to the likelihood that they will reoffend. Um, and, you know, obviously, I don't know what was going on in this individual's mind. I couldn't begin to guess. But I can't imagine that, um, you know, the con that he was pulling, in my opinion, uh, over the course of those months leading up to September of 2015, um, wasn't emboldening him and wasn't giving him the sense that he was in control and that he was deciding what he could do and couldn't do. One of the things I thought was interesting because it does exist elsewhere was this idea of disclosing information about a person's history of intimate partner violence to future partners. Um, how does that, how would that work and where is it in place? Yeah. So um, th the mechanism that you're describing is sometimes called clears law. Um, and it's a, a system whereby the police, and there's a few different versions of it. Um, it uh, the original Claire's Law, uh, to the best of my knowledge, um, came out of the United Kingdom, and I believe was named for a woman who was killed by, by an intimate partner in the UK. But in Canada, that um, structure exists in a number of provinces, uh, including um, Saskatchewan. I believe it was, has just been introduced, legislation has just been introduced in Manitoba as well. And <clears throat> the way that that, uh, and, and sorry, and also Alberta, that's the other uh, jurisdiction that has a version of, of Claire's Law. And basically what that legislation does is create the ability for law enforcement, um, policing and other justice partners to disclose information when requested um, by a woman about the criminal history of their partner. And exactly what they are able to disclose is different in different jurisdictions. Um, but basically the idea is if you have that feeling in your gut that something's not right, you have somewhere that you can go and check. And this is one of those areas where the jury in its wisdom um, asked Ontario to study the best approaches to permit that kind of disclosure. We know that there is some history in Canada. We know that there is history in the United Kingdom with these laws. Let's learn from um, those other jurisdictions about what works, what doesn't work, what might be tweaked uh, to make this legislation effective. And then let's also remember that this is not a complete solution. Putting the onus on survivors or people who, um, you know, are in a relationship with someone who they believe might have a history of violence is not the best way to tackle it. It's it's one tool in the toolbox, but um, we certainly don't want to give the impression that that at least Eva, uh, my clients, don't want to give the impression that they think that this is a complete answer. It because it requires something to have happened for that person to have the feeling that maybe something is not right here, or there may be a history that they should know about. So. What now? And, and, and how satisfied are you with the outcome of this inquest and what needs to be done now? Well, you know, I think um, my clients were incredibly 
gratified by the jury's um, recommendations. But at the end of the day, they are recommendations. <clears throat> so what now? Well, there's a lot of work to do. And a lot of the recommendations of those 86 recommendations are directed to Ontario, uh, which is the jurisdiction where um, the femicides took place and, and um, uh, the jurisdiction where the inquest was held. There are some recommendations that were directed to the federal government, particularly that pertain to amendments in the criminal code, um, as well as a recommendation that pertains to implementation of the National Action Plan to stop gender-based violence. <clears throat> but those recommendations need to be implemented by willing partners uh, in government. And we will very much, my clients, um, other uh, impacted family members, um, will very much be looking to hold government accountable um, for the implementation of these recommendations. And in fact, uh, the jury anticipated this challenge. And one of the recommendations that they have included is the immediate creation of an implementation committee that combines um, uh, government policymakers with um, intimate partner violence stakeholders at a committee table whose job is to oversee the recommendations and ensure that they're implemented. The, uh, the jury also called on Ontario to create a commission on in intimate partner violence and mentions in particular the model that exists in the United Kingdom where there is a IPV commissioner um, and, and that person has um, a very important role to play in holding government actors, um, policymakers and other uh, stakeholders to account, um, learning, learning from the best practices all over the world and implementing them in the United Kingdom. So we think there are things to learn there. And we're incredibly gratified that the jury has been so thoughtful as to turn their mind to the issue of implementation so that these recommendations don't sit on a shelf or in an inbox, I guess, is the modern version of that. Um, and, uh, you know, that wisdom and hard work that, that the jury and all of the parties put into this process is not um, for naught. Kristen Mercer, thank you so much for your time again tonight. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for your uh, attention to this important issue.